Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Valley Investors Edge Live. We're recording on the morning of December 12, 2019. We have Diamond S with us, CEO and CFO, Craig Stevenson and Kevin Kilcullen. We're going to discuss the overall product tanker markets and specifics involving the DSSI. Disclosure, I am long shares DSSI. Uh, nothing here this morning constitutes official company guidance uh, nor investment recommendations in any form. Uh, with that said, welcome, Craig. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, our pleasure. Thanks, Jay. So as we approach uh, 2020, we're only about three weeks away, and you know IMO 2020 regulations are already starting to kick in. We we've heard the the ships are already starting to load compliant fuels. Uh, what sort of impacts have you seen in the markets uh, in regards to this IMO 2020 event? Yeah, I think the best way to describe it is the spot rates have um, you know sort of took the lead of the of the crude oil market a month ago or so, and and so spot rates are are up. Uh, significantly from where they were month, two months ago. Um, and so most people are in various stages of preparation to move to compliant fuel on the product side of the business, whereas the big ships, um, some of which are struggling to to actually get the scrubbers installed. And so that was part of the reason behind the uh, the crude oil spike. Uh, but by and large, I think everyone uh, has found out that uh, the moving to the compliant fuel and cleaning up the uh, tanks uh, and getting rid of the the old high sulfur fuel was not as as difficult as some people uh, initially envisaged. So um, all in all, I think we have a very uh, strong crude and product market today. Uh, it's evidenced by the spot rates, and so you know spot rates are around twenty thousand dollars a day today. Um, on the product side of the business and on the Suez Max side of the business, they're more or less about $50,000 a day. I wanted to ask about that a little bit because we've seen just excellent uh, crude tanker rates. I mean, it, across the entire spectrum, uh, the VLs, the Suez Maxes, of course, which you own, uh, and also the Aframaxes. Uh, but on the product side, uh, the rates tend to be lagging a little bit. Uh, you see the LR2s earning. Uh, less to significantly less than the Aframax counterparts. And then you see the MR2s, of course, they're up significantly year over year, um, but they're a lot lower on the overall spectrum of, of rates, I suppose. Like they're they're above mid-cycle, but not, you know, fantastically so, whereas the Suez Maxes are, are way higher. Uh, can you speak to maybe what's, what's driving that? Do you think that'll kind of normalize out in January or February, or do you think the rates we have now are, are kind of the highest we'll see? You know, it's always a tough call, and uh, and so you know you you've got an LR2. It can move crude oil. It can move products. It really doesn't want to uh, to dirty up a ship without making a lot of money for a, some period of time. And so they're the swing vessel. And so to keep it trading clean uh, probably is a you know somewhat of a cost today. And that's basically what you described. Um, but I mean, I think. Um, I think by and large, there's not a class of ship out there today that's not not actually enjoying pretty good rates. And so it, you know, markets usually don't move that way. They usually start off with the crude side of the business and the crude side of the business runs. And then the other uh, tangential uh, businesses follow behind. Right now, just about every class of ship is earning uh, very, very good money. Jay, and one of the other things that, that we have been saying for a long time, I know we talked about it this, this summer when we sat down, um, 
we actually don't see IMO 2020 as the reason to buy tanker stocks. So we're, we're very um, pleased with where the rates have gone on our assets and where the trend is, but we really see the fundamentals of oil supply and demand and a restrained order book and difficulties on making new investment decisions in, in new tankers as being fundamentals that will underpin several years of um, good rates uh, in the market. We've always seen IMO 2020 as, uh, you know, if there is some sort of speculative uh, bonanza short term, that would be great. But the reason to own tankers and the reason to own Diamond S is where the fundamentals stack up on supply and demand. Yeah, thanks for adding that, Kevin. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we've been, you know, following the tanker market for about a decade now, and, and you're definitely correct. The the order book's the lowest it's been, especially in percent of the fleet, but also just nominally, uh, it's quite low. Um, of course, of course, there's a lot of skepticism, right, of, about forward demand and, and so on. Uh, buying oil tankers, especially a year ago, uh, was not a popular investment thesis. Uh, of course, with IMO 2020, there's, there's more people getting involved. Uh, but like you mentioned, that's a regulatory impact might be a year, whereas the fundamentals could carry us much further. Uh, let's let's look a little bit at IMO 2020. You mentioned there could be a speculative bonanza or you know a spike in rates from that. Uh, like like we mentioned in the start of the call, we haven't seen a, a dramatic spike in product tanker rates. Uh, have you seen anything in the market in terms of disruption or in terms of surprising trades that have popped up or has it been normally just seasonal business? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would just, I would I would sort of say that we haven't seen a spike up. Um, and so in the summertime, you had you had a market that looked like $14,000, $15,000 a day and the rates are 25. I mean, you, you know, if, if you if you catch a, a voyage right, you can be at thirty thousand dollars a day in, in an MR. Um, handies, we have some handies as well. We have six handies, three of which are in the spot market. Uh, they would be less than that, but still, I mean the um, the the marketplace has moved up pretty significantly. Now, um, I think what Kevin talks about is the order book looks fantastic. I mean, it's probably the best order book that I've seen in uh, 25 years or something like that. Um, and and the fun, so those fundamentals, along with the fundamentals of exporting of uh, shale oil out of the U.S. Gulf uh, on long haul movements are tremendously uh, accretive. And so that kind of demand is quite significant and quite unusual. Um, getting compliant fuel all over the place, yeah, that's going to help. That's going to help rates, no question. It's going to help rates. Um, you know, I think I think you're also going to have some lingering effects. If people tried to put on put scrubbers on their ships in the fourth quarter, and as it turns out, they're not going to get them get them in by the fourth quarter, and so it's going to continue on into first and second quarter of of 2020. Um, all those things are super positive for for rates so you're going to see big earnings uh, more or less across the board yeah excellent i mean we're seeing that in the daily uh, spot rate updates and of course we didn't uh, see that in q3 as much because those were the rates of course from may june july and, and so on uh, but I, I think we'll we'll of course really see it in q4 with, with all the companies uh, with that said let's let's shift into you know talking about your company specifics a little bit more um, looking at Diamond S, uh, your valuations compared to peers are, you know, arguably the most attractive 
uh, the stock is trading at the largest discount uh, to that asset value, uh, according to your peers. Uh, one of the things we noticed was with some of the inside insider private equity firms, uh, you know, did a secondary offering recently. And that seemed yep. to kind of underpin some of the weakness in the stock. Uh, I think one of your counterparts in the sector, uh, Robert Bugby, called it Prexit, right? The, the private equity exit across the board of, of a lot of their legacy positions. Um, is there anything else besides that? Because that's an obvious reason. Is there anything else besides that you think that maybe is holding back your stock a little bit compared to peers? I think it's largely exactly that. It's the overhang. And so you had um, uh, two of our largest shareholders were locked up as a result of the transaction. Half of that lockup came off in uh, the end of September. The other half of the lockup comes off the end of March. And uh, and so First Reserve, which owned a little bit over 20% of the company, sold half of their position, basically. And that's the majority of the shares. Yeah, we, we definitely saw that coming into the market. And, you know, as investors, that was an attractive opportunity to, you know, build on our positions or, you know, allocate more at a very nice discount, right? Um, is the company in position? I know they I know you weren't in the fall and in the summer last year because of, you know, the higher uh, leverage and the rates hadn't started running yet. Uh, but now that cash flows are running, right, and leverage is slowly coming down, especially as the asset values increase, uh, is the company in position to perhaps buy some of those shares coming up here in, in February? in March when that lockup comes off again? Yeah, uh, potentially, Jay. I think, um, you know, using uh, the company cash to make a very attractive repurchase of shares is something we discussed with the board um, and think about a lot. Um, I would say for us, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword in that, you know, Craig and I have been spending a lot of time with investors um, and continue to do through the end of the year um, there's a tremendous amount of interest in DSSI, but uh, a lot of accounts can't or are very wary to buy it given where our daily volumes are. So on the one hand, um, yes, we think that DSSI and repurchasing shares that the, the discounts we're at is a really smart thing to do from, from a, a capital allocation standpoint. On the other hand, we don't want to further diminish what is already a, a pretty anemic float and, and daily volume. So I think as more of the legacy shareholders come out, as we start to build um, the trading volumes, get the, get the share more widely dispersed, uh, having a share buyback in the toolkit makes makes a lot more sense. It would be definitely uh, bullish to see you know such a program like that added, uh, you know whether it's with the next results. I know you probably have to get you know board um, permission to, to do something like that. But, and, and as you mentioned, uh, keeping right. the, the share float in balance, but of course, if, if uh, first reserve or, or WL Ross wants to sell more of their shares and you bought back a portion, uh, you know, the net float would still increase. Right. So there's definitely a way to thread the needle on that. Um, let, let's pivot a little bit to, you know, looking at your Q3 results that you reported. I, I know we had an earnings call and, and we discussed some of that. Uh, but as we prepare ourselves, uh, right for Q4 results here in about six weeks. I uh, just wanted to kind of clean up a few things from Q3. Um, on your product tanker rates that you reported, um, they were underneath uh, what we would have expected uh, based on the market rates. Uh, but conversely, the, the Suez Max uh, tankers were higher uh, than I think most of us expected. So kind of a win on the Suez Max side and, and a little bit of a loss, you could say, on the product side. Uh, was that just purely timing or does it reflect maybe a little bit of the fleet or, or is that just a positioning thing? I should in Q4, I guess what I'm asking, uh, should we expect Suez Max and product tankers to roughly reflect 
uh, the indexes and, and kind of what we're seeing in the headlines? Or are there any other things investors should be looking out for? You know, it's always tough when you're on voyages and market spikes. How many ships do you have available to capture those those voyages? Um, we do a lot of veg oil trading, which are long voyages for small ships, you know, handies and and uh, and MRs. And and so we just were late to the party on capturing uh, those additional uh, higher paying voyages on the Suez Max side. We just got it right. And and so. You know, I, you know. Quite frankly, uh, you know, I think I think our performance on the spot ships was roughly almost double that of what Euronet was, and and so we had a couple of voyages that were super big, and and you know, a lot of people put ships. You know, it's sort of a technical point, but a lot of people put ships on subs and never got to subs, and so you you're thinking you're in good shape, but they never lift subs, and so you don't get the voyage. So, um, but, you know, we, had, you know, we had a couple of ships that really got super high rates, right? I mean, Jake, directionally, I think we, uh, on the earnings call, announced uh, the bookings for the fourth quarter, um, 60 some odd percent of the days on the crude fleet in the, in the low mid 40s and the product fleet in the mid 13s. Um, we would uh, expect that um, that product performance increases, but um, you know I, I certainly think, and I've been spending a lot of time talking to analysts, uh, that many people's estimates for the fourth quarter uh, on MRs are unrealistic, and I think uh, much of the peer group is going to have a tough time at, at meeting where those numbers are. Uh, thanks, uh, Craig and Kevin. So just to clarify, you know, you're saying a lot of the index rates, which we've been seeing are around 20 on, on the product side, might, might be kind of hard to hit for Q4. It's definitely going to be increased, uh, but uh, 20 might be hard to hit. It's definitely going to be higher than 13. Uh, looking at the Suez Max uh, guidance, uh, you guided around the 40s. Uh, we're seeing rates now in, in definitely in the 50s and mid-50s at least. Um, is that 40s or are we kind of moving a little bit north of that, or is that still kind of a realistic kind of number to shoot for? Yeah. I mean, the only guidance that we give is how, you know, at the time of the call, how, how what percentage is actually booked at what, at what rates. We don't speculate on what the rest of the quarter looks like. Um, you know, we, we can certainly talk about what spot rates are today, and those are um, in numbers that are known throughout the industry. But, um, you know, rates today are about 50 a day ish and and so if ever you know everything goes really well you, that's that's sort of what you get today you know some ships can be positioned well and you can make a lot of money some ships could be pos- positioned poorly and you have a long ballast and so that's all about trading yeah the, the thing to remember especially in the crude business is for us with uh, you know 13 ships in the spot market, that's actually a very limited number of bullets to fire in any given quarter. So there's going to be, uh, with voyages between, you know, 30 and 60 days, depending on exactly what you're doing, uh, there's really not too many bites at the apple. Um, so positioning and timing of when the market uh, is hot and where your vessels are is hugely important for 
for the crude business. Yeah, definitely understand. And thanks for the additional color there. Yeah, it wasn't looking for official, you know, fixture guidance, just kind of theoretically yeah. talking about what we see in, in the market index and how that might translate into results. And it, it seems like uh, looking at your Suez Max performance and, and talking about the index, uh, we, we can expect you guys to be pretty close on those. But the MR is lacking a little bit. I mean, you also have some middle-aged MRs. You also have some handies. Uh, so that's going to you know pull back a little bit there. Um, you, you just closed your charters um, with Q3, and you, you only had you had a lot of legacy charters right from the from the capital product merger. Uh, but it looked like you really only had two Suez Maxes uh, on charter. I think both of those were scrubber equipped. That's correct. Three year charters. That's correct. Three year charters, and those have scrubbers. Uh, has there been any more efforts made to charter up the fleet, uh, either product or crude, or are we riding this thing uh, spot and kind of just enjoying the current rates? Look, I think you know. I think I think all of what we discussed so far today is all very bullish uh, signals for freight rates, and so the company today has about 20% of the fleet uh, on time charter and 80% on the spot market. I think I think unless somebody really encourages us to to charter ships away, that we would be more inclined to stay in the spot market today. We're not actively uh, out there trying to trying to take cover now, uh, but we're opportunistic. So if there's an opportunity we're, we're, yeah. that meets our hurdles, we're, uh, we're happy to jump on it. Excellent. I won't ask you to give away your, your secret number at which you, you charter the fleet out. We won't do that today, but we will ask, uh, you know, what kind of rates are you currently seeing? What is the bid, if you will, in, in terms of, say, one or two year Suez Max charters and maybe one or two year MR charters? What, what kind of rates are you seeing being offered? You know, just, there's not a lot of deals done, quite frankly. Very few, very few deals done. But if I had to guess, I would speculate, a, you know, a one year might be in the upper 30s, um, which... I don't think you get anybody credible to give you to give you a deal like that that would actually fix a ship out at that that number. On a two-year basis, it's probably low 30s, something like that. Uh, on the product side of the business, a one-year deal is sort of 16 and a half ish, something like that, uh, and that's for a, a non-eco ship without a scrubber. Excellent. Thanks. Yeah, we're seeing that there's a big bid-ask spread, of course, right? Because the charters don't want to you know, lock yeah. themselves up for a couple of years. And meanwhile, the ship owners yeah. are, are rightly very bullish right now. So it'd be interesting to see that close. We we did see a few charters signed. I, this was back during that October spike. We, we did see a couple Suez Maxes uh, signed in the high 30s. I think there's a one a single one-year charter signed at 40, uh, right? Correct. But those were kind of, those were kind of that's, outliers. That's correct. We fixed our Suez Maxes basically about a year ago uh, on WP, and so um, and it was, you know, very attractive right at the time. You mentioned kind of the premium we're seeing with those eco ships and, and with the scrubbers installed. Uh, right now, you have uh, five scrubbers on the Suez Maxes. I think two of them were the ones that are fixed on charter, and, and three are going to be on spot. Uh, we're seeing those those spreads stay pretty strong, and it seems like they're going to last maybe a little bit longer than, than folks maybe originally thought. Um, with that said, are, are, do you have any optionality to add more scrubbers into 2020 if those rates persist, or, or any current plans in that regard? Well, you can. Um, you know what we were what we are still concerned about is just how long that spread lasts, and and so we always anticipate it to be sort of dramatic initially, but pretty quickly that. I think that spread's going to narrow significantly, and so and no one knows, you know, you know, you 
everyone's got a different point of view. Some people are, are very pro-scrubber. Other people are not very pro-scrubber. I think it largely sort of is a function of the size of the ship that you have. I think initially when we sort of thought about scrubbers, you know, we've got 15 Suez Maxes and we were thinking maybe maybe as many as seven. Uh, we backed off, uh, back down to five. Uh, and two of those were driven by contractual arrangements. So um, I will say that it's been a, I wouldn't, I don't know if disaster is the right word, but it's been super difficult to put those scrubbers on. And most people thought it was going to be 30, 35 days to put a scrubber on. And it's, it's closer to 60 days to put a scrubber on. And, and, and your economic cost initially was thought to be 30 a day or $35,000 a day. And it turned out to, it could be close to triple that if you have a VLCC, right? And so uh, the cost of, the real cost of scrubbers, you know, dramatically higher. Thanks for the color there, Craig. Yeah, we, we, we see the, the numbers coming out, you know, from different players. And it always seems like the, the players that have scrubbers you know, say that the OPEX is nothing, right? And then the, the players that have zero scrubbers always say it's really high. So I guess you guys are somewhere yeah. in the middle. And you guys are somewhere in the middle and be more of an honest broker in, in those regards. But see when the, the actual results come out, right, how they shake out. Yeah. I mean, nobody knows. And our 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 point of view was a hedged point of view is you know, the, the reality, it was, you know, we weren't in either camp really hard. We didn't have any V's. I think if we had V's, it, we would have put them on every V we had. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, the, as the ship gets smaller, right, the payback period naturally starts to get a lot larger. And yeah, with VLCCs, the payback period, it's looking, I mean, it, the estimates change, right, based on the spreads, but it's looking in the range of a little over a year, which is just right. incredible. And of course, Suez Max right. is maybe two to three years. But uh, and then, of course, product tankers, uh, it's a big question mark. Uh, so definitely, right. definitely uh, pretty aggressive if you go scrubbers on product tankers. Well, just on, 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 on the small ships, it's a lot of things, right? It's how much time you're in port. You can't use a scrubber in port. How often are you going to find, you know, you've got, you've got arguably 55,000 ships in the world all using compliant type fuel. And, and you're, you're saying with your little bitty ship, you have to find cheap, heavy fuel everywhere. And they go all over the place. And so it highly unlikely you'll always be able to find that cheap fuel uh, that that's high sulfur, right? Yeah, let, let, let's talk about that a little bit. That's a good segue. I, I wanted to talk about the fuel flows a little bit. And, we, you know, we have some questions from, from folks on the line, some investors as well, uh, asking about some of the trade flows we're seeing uh, with the MGO and, and the very low sulfur fuels and, and that sort. Uh, can you talk to a little bit to what sort of blends uh, you're carrying on your product tankers and any sort of trade flows maybe you've seen? And of course, there's going to be trade flows of both moving the heavy stuff and also the compliant fuel, right? What, what, what sort of flows have you seen thus far? We've actually seen seen a couple of things in the in the Singapore area, for instance, the the price of compliant fuel and uh, gas oil is almost identical. Uh, and so, in so, some markets, you're seeing you'd be indifferent, and in and in that case, you would probably buy the gas oil because you're much more confident of of burning gas oil than you are uh, a, a, basically a new grade of fuel. Um, and I don't care how many times you test it, you know, you're always going to be a little bit nervous about how you how your uh, system works on that new fuel. Yeah, we, we've heard some issues of, uh, you know, 
potential seizings or, or high engine loads and that sort of thing. Um, have you seen any credible data on that yet, or is that more so just a broad kind of concern when you're switching to a new fuel? I mean, we hear, hear about it from from other competitors, and and it sort of it sort of makes the rounds in the industry pretty fast. And I think everyone is rightfully so uh, very cautious on this one. Last thing you want to do is have it seize up your engine. Um, and so, you know that I mean that that's the big issue. I mean there there are going to be a lot of issues that are that sort of result from you know, right about now throughout next year, and it, and it's going to be getting comfortable with that new grade of fuel. Um, and and whether you can find fuel all over the place. And, you know, and there's a lot of argument that says you might be just finding gas oil in some places. You might not find compliant fuel everywhere. Yeah, definitely interesting. And then, of course, if you can only find MGO or, or you're just nervous about the compliant blends, your spread's even higher, right? So that right. just that just brings well, us back to kind of the economics of, you know, whether you have a scrubber, whether you don't, whether the fleet's going to be bifurcated yeah. and whether and, the co-ships are going to have advantage and, and so on, right? Yeah, and, and think about the practical side. So you can't find fuel that you want at the right price. You can deviate, you know, short distance to find the fuel that you want. It's all of those sort of, inefficiencies that will result through the entire system that eat capacity tighten rates right yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how those pan out uh, across the board and we're definitely seeing the bullish impact as you mentioned right of the off-fire uh, related to scrubber installations and, and so on um, and, and interesting to see that uh, speaking of sort of uh, disruptions and, and off-fire and, and switching and that sort of thing um, have you seen uh, many product tankers switching from the clean side kind of to the dirty side to chase that higher rates and if so is there any way to kind of quantify uh, how much of that you've seen is that because we, we've heard about it anecdotally and just just wondering if you've seen uh, actual numbers of ships changing I think when rates spiked to 300, I think we saw some ships actually, some LR2s move into uh, the dirty space. Um, and I forget exact. I think LR2 rates got up to, or Affirmax rates got must have gotten up to 90,000 or something thereabouts. Uh, and so some people chase those rates. Um, I've not heard about a lot of it recently, quite frankly. I think I think people are still sort of thinking about you know, there's an argument that LR2s are moving one heck of a lot of the compliant fuel around. It's, you would not normally see it in the smaller ships. That's interesting. What is the main source for this compliant fuel? Is it is it coming out of the Asian markets or U.S. markets, uh, diversified sources? What What's the kind of the primary trade routes you've been seeing with those? Well, it comes out of the U.S. and it comes out of Asia. And uh, there's I think there's very little compliant fuel that's coming out of South America. Um, and so you're going to have to move it all down there. Um, you know, the big, the big producers in the U S or, you know, Valero is a, is a big player in that market. Yeah, definitely. definitely makes sense. Um, just a little, a few questions to kind of to kind of round us out here in terms of the company. We we mentioned kind of the overall elephant in the room a while back, right? The, the stock trades at a discount to peers, um, which is, you know, one of the reasons why we like it. So as investors, that that's been a great opportunity. So, uh, no issues with that. However, going forward, um, what are some of the ways you know, that you can close that gap? I mean, we mentioned potential repurchases. I know there's a liquidity balance there. Uh, are there any other sort of initiatives you can think of that could help close that gap and, and get you back kind of where you belong, trading alongside peer valuations? 
I, I think it, I think it's a lot of things. It, you know, it's not just one thing. It's the overhang. It's you know, I think ultimately, uh, you know, you have the opportunity to pay a, a, a small dividend. Uh, you know, I think checking the box on a dividend is probably not a bad thing as well. All of these things would need to be obviously uh, uh, supported by the board, and the board would would make those decisions. Um, you know, the you have had a you you know you've had private equity originally create the company and 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 they've been in the invested in the in the company for a long time and so it's understandable why they would they would want to sell out of their positions uh, i think all of those things uh sort of speak well well to the market i think in addition to that i think people are thinking about you know you know, whether they should consolidate with others. And that is, I think as you go into the future, I think it's very, very clear that larger companies will be able to deal with all of the issues that the shipping industry has to deal with, uh, with a larger, deal with those issues much better on a larger format rather than a smaller format. And, and so, you know, for years, they, you know, the last couple of years, everyone looked at everyone else, but Quite frankly, very few people did anything, and so today, I think I think it does make a lot of sense. The the cash flow will be coming into the industry, and and we're all looking at how to comply with 2030. And you know, there's you know there's uh, an obligation in that regard, and and how you satisfy it is going to be an interesting thing. So. Um, you know, fleet renewals, all of those things play an important role. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of moving parts there. You you mentioned uh, dividends a little bit, and I know it's still kind of tentative. We got to talk to the board. We got to see how the cash flows go, the fixtures, and so on. Uh, but looking at that in terms of your capital allocation priorities, um, you know, you can delever right right now. Your your debt's kind of in the mid fifties. You can delever. You can add a dividend. You can do some repurchases. Uh, you can kind of save up some money for fleet renewal. You can look into you know, maybe some M and A activity if you can, you know, if you can do it on a creative manner. Um, what are kind of the priorities of those? Is it is it a bit of all of the above? Are you are you focusing more so maybe on dividends than repurchases? Maybe more so on repurchases repurchases over the dividends? How can you kind of describe some of those priorities just so investors have a, a better general idea? Look, I think it's probably at the at the right time important that we pay a small dividend. Most credible shipping companies do. They have various plans for how much they plan to distribute. Um, I think, you know, I think that's that's probably a long-term uh, aspirational goal that we've always felt we we would like to get to that point that we do that. Um, this year, I think, has been a, a tough year up until the fourth quarter, and and so you know, I, I think like a lot of shipping companies who sort of struggle for three quarters, and then you have. A very very strong quarter, and the fourth quarter is certainly looking very very strong today. First quarter is looking very very good as well, and and as well as uh, 2020 as as a, as a year. Um, you know, I think I think the other thing that you sort of talked about, you know, everybody uses the relative metric of NEV, but NEV is is headed up, and and so, you know. Everyone sort of has a has a, a rough idea of what NAV is, but NAV is moving north, and so values of ships are going up. Uh, that's reflective of, of what you can earn with those ships, and so uh, in in a sense, um, 
you know, you're trading at a significant discount discount to to a number today, but that number is headed northbound. Yeah, Jay, we, we kind of think of it as capital allocation as as a flow chart. Um, and I think there's a little bit of opportunistic delevering that we can do upfront, pay down revolving lines such that, you know, we can be nimble in the future. Big focus is on getting uh, the shareholders liquid that uh, do not want to be with the company long term. Um, I think when you move past that, you look at uh, where the share is trading relative to underlying value and whether it make, makes more sense to buy back the stock or, or pay, pay out excess cash and dividends. Um, and we think those are all uh, 2020 decisions. Yeah, definitely, definitely makes sense. You know, you mentioned kind of opportunistic delevering and looking at that. Uh, right now, your your credit facilities and are, are very optimal, right? The the interest rates are not too high on those, and of course, the the LIBOR rates keep moving down. Um, you do have three facilities that mature in 2021, right? So as you enter next year, that'll be kind of the the forward look ahead. Um, is the general plan to to roll most of those across, or do you think there'll have to be some sort of cash payment as part of that deal? Yeah, we said on the call in November that we're keenly aware of those uh, maturities and uh, will be a big focus of the company. Uh, the shipping back market uh, has been deteriorating for at least the last four or five years. Banks are exiting the space globally, uh, and there's a flight of the remaining banks to only the largest and most liquid names. So we are hopefully fortunate that, that Diamond S is still uh, in that top tier and continue to access capital at, at very reasonable rates, especially given the, the volatility of the assets. Uh, we spent a lot of time with our banking relationships and, and would expect to um, be able to proactively address those maturities well in advance of them coming to. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, anytime you see a maturity that's in the next year, right, it, it's, it starts to become a focus item. Um, and of course, investors, you know, we'll see in 2019, we might not care about the 2021s, but, you know, it becomes <laughs> the clock ticks and, you know, you hit January 1st and uh, suddenly the, the bullet point on the presentation uh, jumps out a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, the, the rates are good. The, uh, the leverage seems very reasonable on those, definitely in the 50% range. Um, so theoretically, uh, right, it shouldn't be an issue for you. Uh, just something that you know you, you can't lose, uh, right? By pushing those maturities out on good terms, something to look forward to. Um, again, as investors, we definitely look at that discount NAV. And uh, Craig, you just nailed the points there, right? I mean, it not only are the asset values increasing, uh, but you're also earning cash flows at a far higher rate than those vessels are depreciating, right? So you have two different levers pushing that NAV up, and at the same time, the shares are flattish because uh, you have legacy holders exiting, right? So that's yeah. that's something to look at. I look about you know in you know when you have a shareholder that doesn't want to be a shareholder you need to you need to find a way to <laughs> to alleviate that concern and so you know we uh, uh you know private equity has a clock and and you know it's it's all part of that uh, that whole uh, uh marketplace and there's no way to get around it and so they've been in for a long time and and I think I think it's highly uh uh, reasonable for them to want to get out. And, and Jay, you, you nailed it earlier. It, you know, on the positive side, it's a continuing opportunity for for people to get into what we think is a, going to be an exciting long-term story at at very good values today.
Yeah, let's hope the uh, discount persists for another week or two so investors can get in and then the discount and then magically the discount closes in 2020. That'd be the, <laughs> that'd be the perfect scenario for investors, right? So we're, yeah. we're here live on, on this investor call. We, we got about uh, 35, 40 folks on the line. It wouldn't be an investor call if we didn't ask a couple tough questions. Uh, so just one, one question for you guys in regards to compensation. Is, is any of that tied to the size of your fleet or is that purely based on uh, – like safety metrics and, and uh, share returns. How how is the kind of that compensation determined? Just so we as investors can have a kind of view on that. Yeah, it's it's been that way for a long time, even back in the when we were private. But it's basically the essential five components. Uh, there's a safety metric. There is a uh, SGNA metric. There is an OPEX metric. There is a relative uh, time charter equivalency uh, metric. And then there's a discretionary metric. And look, it's, uh, I'm sure you you guys are aware, but there's a, a variety of different setups in the for public shipping companies. Diamond S has all of its management activities in the company. So when you're buying DSSI, you are buying a company. The management team derives its entire compensation from the public company and is transparent about what we're paid to do so. We have no uh, incentives based on uh, total gross revenues, ships. derived yeah. number of ships, yeah. um, sale or purchase activity, none of that. Correct. Yeah, that, that is definitely uh, good to hear as an investor, right? We, we definitely want to see that compensation is not tied to, you know, if I add 10 more ships, then I, <laughs> I get a big pay raise, right? Because that might yeah. not be the right decision at the time. And, you know, as yeah. long as you're making decisions right. that are best for all shareholders, uh, which I understand you are both shareholders as well. Um, and that's what we want to see. Uh, one more question kind of in that vein. Uh, the shares are trading at a discount, right? We, we have some private equity that wants to exit, uh, but we also have some peers that are trading. Uh, in, I wouldn't say expensive at all. I, I would definitely say in line with an AV, and, and you could even argue your peers are even still cheap, uh, but your peers yeah. trade at higher valuations. Um, if your peers were to approach you, um, is the company available at the right price? Is, is that something you'd be willing to do? <laughs> That's a good question. I think, look, you're in shipping. Um, the reality is everything's for sale. And and so now nobody's going to tell you what price they're going to sell at. But um, the, um, you know, uh, the other question that would come in is, you know, somebody else might be trading at NAV, but would you be willing to take their shares at NAV? That'd be the question. And so, um, but everything, everything's for sale and shipping. And uh, we can only point to the fact that Craig's done it before. I mean, he's one of the, the few public shipping companies executives that actually said yes at the right time and delivered tremendous value to shareholders. Yeah, you were definitely on the right side of history there, Craig. That was the, uh, the OMI sale to, to TK and Torm. Is that correct? Yeah, and I think we got almost 30% premium to our NAV at the time that we did that. So I don't know if, you know, that's, that's another time, another place, um, hot market, um, but windows open and they close. And so if you, if you do nothing, you can, you can lose that value. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're talking about NAV going up and we're, we're talking about some of the levers there, right? Both the 
you know, free cash flow getting generated, um, asset values increasing. Um, as sentiment goes up, multiples usually go up. Uh, so lots of good levers coming back. And, and who knows, uh, 1.3 times is, uh, you know, there, we see a few peers very selectively, uh, but we've seen a few peers in the market that have traded higher than that just recently, right, in the crude, sure. in the crude side. Uh, so sure. never say never. And uh, if you're talking about your multiples right now, you guys are about 70% in AV. And you talk about NAV going up and your multiple going from 70% to 1.2, 1.3. I mean, that's significant. And, you know, as investors, that's something we look at. And it is good to hear that you know, we have a management here that seems to be aligned and is interested and, and open-minded, right, to some of those potentials. Uh, so, Craig and Kevin, thank you very much for joining us today. I think this was a valuable call. Thanks for your time. Okay. Thanks, Th- Thanks again. You bet. Thanks for joining another episode of Value Investors Edge Live. Today we hosted Craig Stevenson and Kevin Kilcullen. Disclosure, I am long shares DSSI. Uh, nothing you hear this morning constitutes official company guidance uh, nor investment recommendations in any form. To access our research, you can navigate to seekingalpha.com and search for J. Mintzmeyer or Value Investors Edge. You can also navigate directly to mintzmeyer.com. That's M-I-N-T-Z-M-Y-E-R.com. We have free trials open until the first, second week of January. So if you're interested at all in our shipping research, I encourage you to check those out. Thanks again for listening today.